I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Today, we begin the show with a breakdown of debates in Pennsylvania, New York, and Michigan. The Republicans fared well last night as we're recording this. But the mentally incapacitated John Fetterman stole the show and not in a good way. It is a disgrace what's happening in that race. And I play and analyze surreal clips. I also razz Paul Ryan. We break some news on Eric Adams, Potemkin tent city for illegal aliens in the opening of the show. And then I discuss the emergence of the new midtermicron variant of the coronavirus, which is uh, ravaging our country, apparently. Our guest today is Congressman Randy Weber of Texas. His district houses much of our strategic oil reserves. He's 100% convinced that Biden depleting it is political. And we discuss that as part of a broader discussion on the energy issues facing our country before I get his thoughts on our open border and its downstream effects. And perhaps most interestingly, he names names on who's to blame for this. All that's coming the show. Let's get into it. one of the most exciting evenings in politics in a while. There were three debates that went on and all of them had highlights and a lot of lowlights. Lots and lots and lots and lots of lowlights. Um, Producer Zach and I were joking just before the show is that we are very confident in the future and the future meaning the next three hours of this broadcast. We are less confident in the future of our country. Especially if some of these elections do not go the right way. Um, Kathy Hochul versus Lee Zeldin for the New York governorship. John Fetterman, a.k.a. John Fetterwoman. He said so. That's what he said. Um, who will be one of the co-senators from Pennsylvania with his uh, wife, uh, Jell, as Joe Biden calls her, and uh, out in Pennsylvania. And then um, uh, Gretchen Whitmer versus Tudor Dixon in Michigan. So all of that it took place last night, and it, it was a very sad scene in Pennsylvania. We'll be doing a, la- a lot of laughing so we don't cry, uh, but I will state at the outside, outset that my opinion is that it is not right what is being done to John Fetterman by the Democrat Party, and it's not right what is being done to him by his wife, who is not protecting him. He is a, a sick man who is needs a lot of rehab, and he needs to be out of the public eye and not be made into the mockery that he is. He is making a mockery of our country. He's making a mockery of our Senate, and he is basically getting propped up by a podium that he can lean against so he can do it. And it is one of the most humiliating things that we've seen. And we've all just accepted it because we're in this hyper-partisan age where someone's humanity doesn't matter. What Only what matters is will they vote properly. And when John Fetterman gets to the Senate, I'm sure he'll be talked into voting like any good Democrat that lines up with Chuck Schumer. And that will be good enough for the Democrats of Pennsylvania. And probably a handful of swing voters because, let's face it, Dr. Oz is the world's best candidate, though he's improved market, markedly um, since he, uh, since really the, the second half of the general election. He's, uh, his answers yesterday were pretty good. I've got some critiques of his uh, uh, overall debate performance, but overall Dr. Oz did, did a pretty good job. We won't be playing as many Oz clips as Federman clips, but Oz seems to be answering questions in a thoughtful way, and um, it will probably be an okay 
senator if he wins. I'm not saying he's going to be a standout. Hopefully he would be, but is I'm feeling more comfortable he'll be okay at least. Um, but John Fetterman, on the other hand, should not be up there. He should not be out there. And after he had his stroke and it was clear that he has deep health issues that he needs to work through with extended therapy outside of the public eye, the Democrats should have announced some sort of write-in candidate who is well-known to Pennsylvanians and just said, everyone just please write in this person. And it, it could have worked. It probably would have worked better. Whatever John Fetterman gets, a really well-done write-in campaign. I mean, it's been done. Lisa Murkowski won with a write-in campaign fairly recently. I want to say 20, I don't know, within the last 12 years or so, 10 or 12 years. So it's been done. It's not impossible to do this. And that's what they should have done. Um, And I blame his wife and I blame the Democrat Party. Those are the two most important entities in this. And both of them share a significant amount of blame. Um, Here is a mashup that we compiled at Breitbart of some of the lowlights of the horrific performance from John Fetterman last night. Um, I'm not giving you full context for the sake of time because uh, already right now you will hear the mumbling and bumbling. Uh, This is just a mere three minutes worth. Uh, I will try my best not to interrupt, though I might have to. Here we go. Cut eight, Mr. Zach, go for it. Hi. Good night, everybody. And this campaign is all about, to me, is about they didn't pay the bills and it got our paid. Here's what I think we have to fight about inflation here right now. That's what we need to fight about inflation. We also be able to make more in Pennsylvania. When he had a choice to make his merchandise, the Oz label is on, he made it all in China. And how can a man, you know, with, with you know, 10 gigantic mansions, you know, has unwilling uh, to talk about a willing wage. Now, we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's that's the most American bargain. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being, being. Uh, he doesn't want to talk about having somebody having a living wage and having somebody able to survive. Roe v. Wade, for me, is should be the law. What I support, I support on Roe v. Wade. And I've always believed that the choice belongs women and their doctors. I believe that it, I believe the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. He keeps talking about Bernie, Bernie Sanders living closer to anybody else in Pennsylvania for fracking to myself. Uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. He has never met an air, uh, uh, an oil company that he doesn't swipe right about. I ran to be mayor back in 2005. I'm the only person on this stage right now that has con- was successful. His his family's company was it was levied the largest fine for immigration hiring of, of, of immigrate uh, illegals. He should sit this one out about in terms of what a, a, sore, uh, a secure border. I, b- I believe, I, I believe, you know, is, is right now is, is China. Everybody in Braddock, uh, an overwhelmingly majority uh, community of, of black uh, community all understood what happened. You know, they, uh, they understood what happened. We need to make sure that Dr. Oz and the Republicans believe in cutting Medicare and in, uh, Social Security. Dr. Oz would not support and he would support cutting Medicare. To me, careers are revealed uh, by your, your real underlying values. It's about supporting and helping, you know, young earners, excuse me, young, 
young, uh, young you know, students to, to give them a break. I believe that that supporting. Uh, s- wow. Uh, that was pr- produced by Matt Purdy, who's uh, one of our top videographers at Breitbart, uh, who cut that very quickly and um, amazing, amazing stuff. And he even missed a few that I was thinking of. Stunning. Biz Nusses, he, we missed the, the, we cut out eight of the 10 times he sang Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade. He was singing the whole time. I don't mean just to make fun of him, but it, it you can't not. He used the word balloons, not a real word. He said he's ready to be served, like he's going to get served with, you know, papers get sued. Um, Noteworthy in that one, he said he does support fracking. There's no evidence he supports fracking. He said flat out, and even CNN said this, that uh, he doesn't and never has supported fracking, is what he said in the past. Never have. And he says, I don't support it. And now all of a sudden, the debate stage last night, he's always supported it, is what he said. And um, apparently, Dr. Oz did some violations of ingration hiding, was I think was the way it was articulated. Um... It is uh, the, the the argument will be, and if you my, this segment were to be taken out of context by Soros-funded freaks, uh, what their argument would be is I'm being ableist. It's not about that. It's, 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 the, these are people who are uh, perverted freaks who have put this guy out there and suggested he should be in our Senate. should not be in public life at all. So talking to you, Chuck Schumer, Talking to you, Giselle Fetterman. Who's the chair of the DNC right now? Who's the chairman of the D- D- Democratic National Committee? How about I, why don't I know this? The chair of the DNC right now is Jamie Harrison. Is that true? Um, he's served and blamed here, too. Why don't I know who the chair of the DNC is? Very odd. Must not be out there very much. Head of the Governor's Association. Uh, it's a all of these people who are vice chairs like Governor Whitmer, Tammy Duckworth. Bad. Bad, 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 bad. Um, other th- things are noteworthy in his answers. This one was an all-time classic, though. It's a, that was how it was worded by Producer Zach, and I think it's totally right. And the money, cut 10, please. Senator, you have 60 seconds. Hi. Good night, everybody. That was his opening comment. You have 60 seconds. Hi. Good night, everybody. Here's a surreal one. He was called out for not paying his taxes, which he had some issues with uh, paying taxes. Play cut nine. Mr. Fetterman, I will allow a 15-second rebuttal. He has specifically said you have not paid your taxes and that you want to raise taxes on Americans. How do you respond? Uh, absolutely. The Oz rule, of course, he's lying. It was helping two students 17 years ago to help them you know, buy their own homes. They, they didn't pay the bills and it got her paid. And it has never been an issue in, in any of the campaign before. It was all about nonprofit. Okay, so he didn't pay his taxes. And his response is 17 years ago, he was helping two students buy their own homes. Um, what students have their own homes and why is he helping them buy their own homes at the expense of paying for his uh, tax bill that is owed, particularly as a tax and spend Democrat who's going to want a bunch more of your money to get siphoned off of your bank account so we can go to things like Green New Deal initiatives and uh, weapons for Ukraine.
So, um, and, and by the way, one of his defenses is this hasn't been an issue on the campaign before. Great. That's a comfort that no one's brought this up, like in the Democrat primary or the establishment media and brought it up before. Wow. All right. We got so many highlights for you at uh, Breitbart News. The spin that took place afterwards was um, truly amazing. On MSNBC's The Last Word, a guy named Congressman Brendan Boyle of Pennsylvania said that they hope people don't just focus on his recovery issues, but but Fetterman is bravely enduring them in public. So he actually should get credit. He should get credit. Should I make my signature of the show when I show up? Hi, good night, everybody. Even at uh, 6 a.m. when we're launching. <laughs> um, Fetterman's spokesperson said something that might be true, that he spoke better tonight than he did in the primary. We didn't hear from him much in the primary, at least towards the end. It was also underrated to get that big neck goiter, that shot on the side. The camera didn't really pan over to it, but that, that is still unexplained. And Fetterman is not committed to releasing his medical records. What he should do is um, they should they should announce that they're going to. Um, you know what? You know what's interesting because the the governor race is happening too. Democrats are strongly favored in that race, but that you would say that he should step down and they should report that they should appoint someone else. He should commit something like that. But I, I guess the governor race is not a, a done deal for Democrats, particularly in a red wave year. Um, yeah, we know everything about his medical record. Everything's going on. All right. He also said it's uh, Biden's choice if Biden wants to run. Noteworthy. So this is going to come up a lot. Should Biden run again? Wasn't the only debate going on. Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin were going at it. And um, Lee Zeldin took a pretty aggressive approach during the debate. And the there is... Um, do we have the clip of her talking about crime? That's the, that's the big one. Okay, cut seven, please. This is a huge moment. Go. We're halfway through the debate. She still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Okay. Anyone who commits a crime... Under our laws, especially with the change they made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important to you. All I know. Yeah, I don't know why that's so important for you. It's referring to the need to lock up criminals. He's talking about how she's not talked about people committing crimes getting locked up. And she says, I don't know why that's so important to you. There's a crime wave in the middle of New York City, which is our most iconic city, most expensive city. Or second most, if you want to, maybe the Bay Area has surpassed it at this point, but it's about the same. Top two most expensive places in the country, most iconic place in the country, and it's been ruined by uh, largely by crime. Doesn't know why it's so important to the Republican governor, why that would be an issue. A quote that should live in infamy. Um, she said she wants Joe Biden to run for re-election. She said the border crisis is over also. That is one. Well, we don't have that one, do we, Mister Zach? I'm trying to figure out because um, we're, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But anyway, they, they, we're already seeing a stemming of the tide of people coming. The border crisis is over. 
She did say she would not mandate coronavirus vaccines for children at this time, which is good for a Democrat. I think that that's a good answer for a Democrat. What is not as good is that the answer should be she would never allow for it, which was what Lee Zeldin's um, position is. So I think that that is noteworthy that Democrats, there's a chance that there, you could get mandated coronavirus vaccines. Any of you who are not sufficiently motivated to uh, roll yourself out to the polls in New York, just in case there's a shot for Lee Zeldin. So the Hochul also was challenged by Zeldin, who was really quite aggressive, which I think played pretty well overall. Um, how she, yeah, let's see. So, so we got um, we, we got a little bit of the of the jab debate. Let's play cut eleven. You've been an election denier, a climate change denier. You and Donald Trump were the masterful COVID deniers. We are dealing with a real crisis. And the more people get vaccinated, get those shots in arms. And I would do it all over again what I did last year, that mandate for health care workers. Yeah, so more mandates. She'd do it all over again. Really confident in their approach. Uh, but a big strain on hospitals because it was not up to them if they could get the experimental shots or not. Is freedom is secondary to whatever Kathy Hochul, a non-doctor, thinks. It's brand new shot, guys. Like it's the uh, even if you like the shot, it was brand new for people. I I did say very early on when the shots were coming out that cultural uh, adoption of the shots was going to happen. It's probably going to take years. It got adopted in a broad level culturally much faster than I thought. But of course, there are going to be people who are going to want to wait to see their long-term effects before they got the shots. Duh. And that meant that some people couldn't get treated because you would do a clean house of a bunch of uh, otherwise uh, healthy and capable healthcare workers because of mandates. I'd do it all again. Is it why New York is leading in population loss uh, other than maybe California. But maybe as a percentage, I don't know, maybe New York's doing worse. All right, other debate that was going on was Governor Whitmer versus Tudor Dixon, which is, um, I don't think we got any audio of that, but it was the some of the highlights were uh, Governor Whitmer did agree to no vaccine mandates for children. That's a positive. Um, Tudor Dixon was hammering her on vetoing tax cuts for Michiganders during inflation. So this is the trick is that a lot of these Democrats who are far left people are and will consistently push for left wing, a left wing agenda, do have to portray themselves in general elections more moderate than they are. This is what we talked about a lot on the show yesterday in the context of the Ohio Senate race, where people are portraying Tim Ryan as someone who's who is advancing a different view of the Democrat Party from the coastal liberal elite view that comes from Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Problem is he votes in he's in the Congress right now and he votes with Nancy Pelosi every single time. He's 100 percent, I think, in the latest Congress voting with Nancy Pelosi every single one, every single time. So but they're acting like he's got a his finger of the pulse of what the working class people are doing. And he does talk about China sometimes and some things that people in the middle of Ohio care about. Uh, which I guess is preferable to never bringing up those issues, but in a practical sense, he votes the exact same way as plutocratic, aristocratic San Francisco Nancy Pelosi. 
Tudor Dixon really focused on Whitmer shutdown of the schools. This is one, another one where just should be reminded uh, over and over again, any candidate who is for school shutdowns, which turned out to be anti-science, they were using the kids as pawns of the teachers unions in order to control the public during the pandemic. As if the pandemic wasn't bad enough, as if people weren't losing friends and family members to the actual virus, then they had to, with no scientific basis, shut down the schools, which uh, set back children's developments, and it made life much more difficult for families. And virtually every Democrat was for it. I can't think of a single exception. Maybe there's a couple, but they're, they're not you know, household names. And a lot of them did them without much debate, and Whitmer's were some of the worst mandates and shutdowns, period. Uh, okay, so a Nancy Pelosi-aligned pack has pulled millions out of a really important district in California. That is Mike Garcia's district, uh, the 27th district. Congressman Garcia comes on quite a bit. Uh, one of my favorite Congress people. I think he's one of the most impressive people in the Congress. And he is in... Um, a district that I care about quite a bit because it's the only thing remotely conservative in the LA area now, which is a, b- a bright spot in my hometown. So he's just north in uh, a, a in an area that uh, encompasses Santa Clarita and Palmdale and Lancaster, Antelope Valley, places like that. If those of you are familiar with the area, and he is a great congressman, and Pelosi's pulling out there. So it looks like that that was one of the few seats, maybe the one seat the Democrats thought they could flip. That was a seat that a Republican holds in the House. Um, due to redistricting, the fact that it's a tight seat anyway, that was one where they thought they could have it. Apparently that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, our own Emma Jo Morris went down to the Adams Tent City for illegal immigrants in New York City, and apparently there's no occupant, uh, occupants. So the press can't get in, but we saw these photos of all these cots lined up and these phone banks uh, and, you know, whatever it was, foosball table. They have Xboxes, flat screens. Uh, We don't know if anyone's there. The press has been kept out, so it's like North Korea, Potemkin, Tent City. And so press can't get in, and we don't know if there's any human beings actually occupying it. It's noteworthy because New York has a huge homeless population that would probably like to get in there. And the taxpayers are funding all this. It's ostensibly for illegal aliens. And we don't, we don't know if anyone's there at all. We found no evidence that there's actually a human being that is occupying this brand new state-of-the-art tent city they've erected allegedly for illegal aliens. I joked months ago that there would be a coronavirus variant that would show up before the midterm. And the variant would be, would be termed midtermicron. So variation of midterm and Omicron, those of you who are haven't had your cup of coffee yet. And it's apparently here. Joe Biden has called for one shot each year, which is anti-science. There's no suggestion that's the right interval for shots. And he got his fifth vaccine. Masks are coming back in a lot of places. I picked up some Cuban food last night, and we were back with the staff wearing the mask under their nose. Uh, even though the CDC no longer recommends it necessary for healthcare officials to get masked up, I know Mrs. Doctor Marlowe's hospital still wants the healthcare officials wearing masks. I'm sure there are many others like it. So masks are back, and we're talking a lot more about getting jabs. 
So that's trying to push coronavirus in Biden's uh, said we need a fresh start of some kind, I guess, on it. It is. Oh, yeah, we got this clip. Let's do cut five. Mr. Zach, do it. As we enter this new moment in the battle against COVID, let's use it to start fresh as a country, to put all the old battles over COVID behind us, to put all the partisan politics aside. Okay, so we've got a couple clips here. Uh, one is from a while back, and then one is recently earlier this month. Let's play cut four. This is a global health emergency. If we really want to put COVID behind us, we have to keep up the fight together. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. That pandemic's over, but everyone should be. But we're also having a fresh start in the fight against COVID. So is it over or not? Because I don't want to wear any more masks. A lot of masks at a Tim Ryan town hall. I think this was from a couple days ago. I found the story to be absolutely delish. Tim Ryan, who's got all sorts of momentum, according to the New York Times, went to a town hall at a church. The crowd was super excited. We counted the people in the audience and we got 19. So 19 people showed up for a Tim Ryan event and they were all masked. Couldn't find one exception. Very socially distanced. And I did not see, and I'm going to I'm gonna play this little clip again for myself because it's only six seconds. I'm not seeing any windows open. Like the windows are more effective than the masks. So why they got the masks on and not the windows open? The ventilation was the key. That's why the airlines were not seeing huge spikes in coronavirus cases. It's why people packed in like sardines is because they say they are ventilation. Very odd people, these Democrats. And um, midterm Macron is here and it is going to wreak havoc on your freedoms if you're not careful. Democrats are now fretting over turnout of black voters. Democrats have not done well for the black community. If you can call them a community, maybe they're turning into the black individuals. Maybe it's not a community that's going to vote as a block this time around. That would be pretty cool. I don't think Democrats have served the black people of this country well, particularly those in inner cities. I think they've promised them a lot and things have not gotten markedly better for them. I don't think that they have been the beneficiary of a lot of America's uh, blessings and the system we've created, and I think a lot of it is because they have, uh, rightly or wrongly, and I'm saying wrongly, gone with the Democrats' vision for this country in a lot of their cities and urban areas. I think it's time for a change, and it seems like Democrats are concerned that might be coming. Trump made some headway, unlike his predecessors. One such predecessor was Paul Ryan, who made it a big uh, priority when he was running for vice president and when he was in the Congress, when he was Speaker of the House, he was going to make headway of the black community. He never did so. But he's still out there, even though he's a Fox News executive, he's showing up on Fox Business to opine about President Trump. Let's hear from the former Speaker of the House, cut six. Uh, is Donald Trump electable in 2024, bearing in mind that you have a history with Mr. Trump? Yeah, yeah bear in mind, I do have a history. Everybody knows my our, our feelings toward each other, I guess I'd say. My point is, we're going to win, win so badly. We're going to want to beat Biden and the Democrats in 2024 that we won't nominate Trump because we want to win. 
that new swing voter in American politics is the suburban voter. And it's really clear the suburban voter doesn't like Trump, but they like Republicans. So I think anybody not named Trump, I think, is so much more likely to win the White House for us. And it's sort of like what the Democrats did. What They went from Dean to John Kerry in 04. They went from Bernie to Hillary in 16. They went from Bernie and Elizabeth Warren to Joe Biden to win in 2020. I think the same thing's going to be for us. We're going to want to win the White House so badly and beat the Democrats. And we know we're so much more likely to lose with Trump because of the fact that he, he's not popular with suburban voters that we're going right, to want to win. That. And that's why I think... So irritating. Uh, so first of all, this guy's a loser. He's a literal loser. He ran against very... Uh, as vice president with Mitt Romney, who has all the classic characteristics of a great politician and was up against Barack Obama at a weak point in Obama's presidency and they got their butts kicked. He lost a debate to Joe Biden. This guy lost a debate to Joe Biden. Sarah Palin, who had... I, who knows if Sarah Palin had ever had a major debate with one one millionth of the audience that she had during her vice presidential debate beat Joe Biden in debate. And Paul Ryan lost to Joe Biden in debate. And they lost the presidency, the presidential election. His opinion on politics is irrelevant. Uh, it's interesting because you guys know that there's certainly not a guarantee that Trump will, would be my first pick if there is a actual primary uh, at this point. Not to say it couldn't happen. I mean, I'll let it play out, but it's certainly not a done deal. But it's a boy, am I more likely to support Trump after comments like that? It's a the arrogance that anyone gives a crap about Paul Ryan's opinion on Donald Trump is uh, unbelievable. It would be, you know what I would have loved? His answer should have been, you know what? No one cares about my opinion about Donald Trump. Um, but since you asked, I don't think he's electable as some other Republicans. That should have been it. That should have been his answer. But just arrogant. People tell him that guy he's so great for so long. What do you ever do? Terrible, ineffectual Speaker of the House. He botched the first portion of Donald Trump's presidency with his uh, health care reform overhaul that didn't get through. Thanks to John McCain. Lost a debate to Joe Biden, who's half a brain. One of the worst figures in American politics, no doubt, Paul Ryan. House progressives have withdrawn a call for Joe Biden to negotiate an end to the Ukraine conflict. That is a sign of desperation if there ever was one. Uh, Emma Jo Morris has an amazing story at Breitbart that I recommend. Um, the headline is Chapo Pilled in Times Square. It's a reference to a left-wing millennial podcast called Chapo Trap House, which has been popular for about six years or so. I've listened to it a number of times. It's got some interesting stuff in it. But this is the populist left. It's called the Dirtbag Left. Um, and she went and checked out one of their events and interviewed one of the members. And it's an amazing piece of writing that you all should check out. But this is connected because these alleged left-wingers who are in power are not really that left-wing. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Pramila Jayapal and all these left-wingers, they don't want the Democrats to negotiate a peace with Ukraine and Russia. They're fine with war. They're fine with funding war. They're fine with siphoning taxpayer money out of your bank account. Those of you millennials who are working round the clock to try to get ahead in life, the prospects of you being able to you know, buy your own home get bleaker by the minute, the prospect of you getting to own anything unless you inherit it from your parents is getting harder and harder every single year, every single day, really. Uh, and they want more of your money to go to fund the war in Ukraine. It's just know that, that they're not really progressives. They're not really liberals. 
They're part of the military-industrial complex Washington establishment, even the ones who are brand themselves as representatives of the left. They're all fake. They're frauds. And there's no bigger piece of evidence than this in the House Progressive Caucus uh, saying pulling out of their call to negotiate into the Ukraine conflict. Why? Because they think it could potentially hurt Democrats in the midterms, which are already not going to go well for them. So their political success in the midterms is uh, more uh, important to them. Politics is more important to them and whether or not Americans who are often struggling, who've been hit by inflation, are going to be asked to continue to fund the war in Ukraine on behalf of Zelensky. So you've been lied to, those of you on the left. And this is why I mentioned Emma Jo Morris's piece, because there is a a lot of people understand this. They understand that even the Ocasio-Cortez wing even the pod save America wing of the Democrat Party are they're, they're, they're just political creatures. They're not that principled. Their principles are they're willing to sell them out for votes. The, the Obama wing, all they're all part of the military industrial complex. They're fine with it. They're fine with the war industry and you guys funding it and not being able to afford your own stuff. You, you pay a bunch in student loans. You got to still have health care costs, even though a lot of you know, left-wing Western countries don't have that anymore. Um, where it's all socialized, which is what they want. They all want socialized medicine. They don't have it. They want socialized education. They don't have it. Instead, they're funding war. And they're supposed to be represented by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And they're out on a call for the end of wars. Very, very noteworthy, I think. Uh, here's a headline from the AP. Abortion ruling means more and riskier births in Mississippi. So Mississippi expects 5,000 more births each year as a result of their Supreme Court ruling denying abortion rights. Now, the AP portrays this as a bad thing, that there'll be 5,000 more births each year in Mississippi. Just to show you the divide, the AP is one of the biggest news outlets in the world, and they're, they lean liberal, but they do, I think, do a better job than most trying to be neutral, but this is their version of a neutral headline. They're lamenting that there'll be 5,000 more lives that will get to live and walk the earth in Mississippi due to their laws. Um, you know, we did a Breitbart. So this is the AP's headline. Abortion really means more and riskier births in Mississippi. I dropped the riskier births part on our headline and I added party popper emojis. So our headline is party popper emoji. Abortion really means more births in Mississippi. So we celebrate. We celebrate life. All right, I have a ton of economic news um, I have not gotten to, and we will maybe get to that later in the show, but I will do one more story that I got to get to. This is one that uh, it's, hard, it's hard to resist. She's such a troll. I didn't want to get to it till the very end, but Hillary Clinton has said, we must crush the right-wing extremist plot to steal the 2024 presidential election. We do have this clip, I think, right? Yes, it is cut three. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that (laughs) is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. 
the right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, you state that. legislatures nice. the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, uh, all right, the 2020... So you would be good to hear this is, I guess, a approval of any of you who questioned the last election, right? I mean, you should all be off the hook. All the January 6th people should be let out of jail. I mean, it's okay. She's saying literally the next election is going to be stolen. So it sounds like election denial to me. So I'm hoping that CNN calls her out in a robust way. I'm sure they will. But this is literal election denialism for election that hasn't even happened yet. From the person who spent the last, I guess, six years saying that her election was essentially illegitimate from 2016. So note the hypocrisy how this story will come and go from the news very quickly. Congressman Randy Weber was on, and he was bringing the fire today, uh, naming names, calling people out, and describing exactly what some of the problems are facing our country, starting with our strategic oil reserve depletion from Joe Biden to our unwillingness to tap our own resources to make ourselves energy independent. And then he calls out a bunch of people for their irresponsible lack of enforcement of our border rules, which favors not just illegal aliens, but the cartels and others. All that interview, let's play it. Congressman, great to have you on. Well, good morning, Alex. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And we had an exclusive story with you, uh, I guess it was a few days ago, on how you're leading a House resolution which pans the Biden administration for recklessly gutting the oil reserves for political gain. So give us all the details here. I want to hear about the reserve, any background that people who are totally uninitiated need to know, and then we'll get into the resolution. Well, absolutely. I'm the, my district, 14 in Texas, is the upper Gulf Coast of Texas. We've got seven ports more than any other member of Congress. A lot of energy is produced in our district. 65% of the nation's jet fuel, 80% of the nation's military-grade fuel, 20% of the nation's gasoline east of the Rockies. So energy for us is a big deal. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve, is 60% of it is housed in our District 14. Uh, I don't know if, you're, if our listeners know, but there's about 714 million barrels as a capacity. Some say as much as 730 million barrels, and that's fine. Biden has drawn it down to the lowest level in like 30 or 40 years. What our resolution does is it says the president should recognize energy security is national security. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve was put into place for, I don't know, reasons that are strategic, you know, not so that he can bolster his poll numbers in election year. Alex, at the rate they're going, next thing you know, he'll be given he'll be forgiving college student loan debt. Oh, yeah, he's already done that, hadn't he? It's election time. Uh, it, he needs to recognize that energy security is national security. He needs to – we all know that Biden has an attack on domestic production of oil and gas, 
And so now the United States is energy dependent under President Trump. We were energy independent. The third thing our resolution does is it says, look, we encourage higher levels of domestic oil and gas production. Why would the president need to go to Saudi Arabia with a gas can in one hand and and money in the other, begging them to produce more (laughs) oil so that we can buy from them? And fourthly, our, our resolution calls for the president to stop the sale of petroleum products from the SPR, which are designed for us, to other countries. What is the level of the strategic reserves now? Uh, what do you think is an appropriate level? And uh, what is the consequences if we don't uh, re- restore it quickly? Well, the, the, here's, here's a newsflash. There are people in the world who hate us, China, Russia, Iran, other countries. We, the consequences are if we get into a real dire – look, gasoline prices are high. I get that. We, we manufacture a lot of energy gas and oil, of course, in our district. And so nobody wants high prices. Nobody wants inflation due to the Democrats' crazy, out-of-control spending. Should Russia do something really stupid, or Iran, or China with Taiwan, we're going to need that strategic petroleum reserve for a very, very, and I would add the word military, militarily strategic purpose. If he continues to draw it down, uh, let's say 714 million barrels of oil. He, he announced he would draw out 1 million barrels for 180 days. That's 180 million barrels. It's about a fourth of the entire uh, strategic petroleum reserve. He, he's announced another 15 million. He's at the rate he's going. We will not have energy. Again, our number one aim in this resolution is he must recognize that energy security is national security. We can't count on the Saudis or anybody else to produce oil for us. We should be doing it here. If he continues to draw it down, we could be in a really, really bad spot, not just militarily, but also because if we do, if we had a hurricane, I'm on the Gulf Coast, if we had a national disaster where we needed that for Americans right here, it wouldn't be there for us. One thing that is somewhat fascinating from my vantage point is how we have decided we're not going to drill more here. We're not going to harvest our natural resources here, but we're enabling all these other parts of the world that are uh, that don't even necessarily have as easy to harvest oil reserves or oil sources as we do and we're asking them to do it for us and so that might be have a higher environmental cost it obviously empowers some nations that we all don't love venezuela in particular even the saudis are mixed bag uh, needless to say so it, it feels like this is it feels like one of the biggest points you could make and yet it's rarely made that it sh- wouldn't this all be solved if we just did more to get our own oil out of the ground here particularly in texas well, absolutely. And here's what I've been telling people, Alex. Here's what the left has this big Green New Deals, and they want to push, push, push for all electric. And, and you just can't manage a, a power, a whole country, especially with military and with trade on electric um, and windmills and solar panels. We, we know that. But here's what we need to recognize. Fossil fuels are not the enemy. We all, I believe right. in renewable energies. They can be a great supplement. Texas is the number one wind energy state in the country, number two in solar panels. So we believe in renewables. 
fossil fuels are not the enemy. Greenhouse gases can be curbed. We produce energy cleaner than any other country in the world. China, Russia, India, Iran, Mexico. None, if we have to buy fuel from any of those countries, and the ones you named, Venezuela and others, then all that's going to happen is greenhouse gases are going to go up. It's time for our friends on the left to wake up. It means better for the environment. It means better jobs for Americans, right? high-paying jobs. It means lower fuel prices. And, of course, it means energy security. Did I mention that energy security is yeah. national security? The left better wake up. Let's talk about the jobs element of this. The fact that we are not doing everything we can to get our own natural resources that we have, uh, be them fossil fuels or, or otherwise, um, it's the again, I was playing clips earlier in the broadcast of John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, who says all of a sudden he's for fracking after saying he'd never be for fracking. I mean, there's just countless jobs in Pennsylvania that uh, fracking could bring in. And, uh, you know, it, under, under President Trump, who is in, imperfect in this regard, but it was still it was like a race to see how many of those jobs you could open up. Uh, and, and now we're, we're fighting against them. We're resisting them. And it's just it's perverted almost that we would do this to ourselves as a country. But if for you in your particular district, it, it, it must be it, you must feel like you're in, in clown world. Alex, this is uh, the real scenario for jobs in our district. A, a young person can come out of high school uh, if they can keep their nose clean. I know they don't have a bad drug habit or something like that or a drug record. They can come out of high school and they can go to work in some of these refineries and some of these chemical plants making 60, 70, with some post-secondary education maybe, but they could be making sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year with all the benefits, paid vacation, paid holidays, yeah. 401k, retirement, the whole nine yards. That's a good-paying job right here on the Gulf Coast of Texas that these young people can get. Not, you know, not everybody goes to four-year college, and not everybody has that, that uh, high-paying of a job, if you will. So for us on the Gulf Coast of Texas, energy is a huge deal. Um, I, look, it makes it to where the work, average working American can buy energy, gasoline, diesel, at the lowest price ever in the United States of America by us drilling more. There used to be a bumper sticker, drill here, drill now, pay less. We can do that in America if this administration should never have canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which comes into my district. And just for your information, our listeners' information, Keystone Pipeline carries 830,000 barrels of oil a day. The Colonial Pipeline system that was hacked into carries 3.1 million barrels of product a day. Keystone Pipeline is one-fourth of the output of the, the Colonial Pipeline system that feeds the entire southeastern part of the United States. And yet Biden killed it and opened up Russian Nord Stream 2. Of course, he subsequently saw the error of his ways and changed. But these, this is what's at stake here on the Gulf Coast of Texas, really in the country. We should have the best supply of energy at the cheapest prices, and the less war on fossil fuels is presenting that is preventing that. 
it's such an interesting point about how entry-level jobs, I mean, I was just thinking about when I uh, got my first full-time job about, let's just put it this way, Congressman, it was, a, it was a fraction of the pay you just described. And it just the, I know there are people who are walking to class right now to go get a liberal arts degree where they're accumulating tons and tons of debt, uh, where uh, they are going to be uh, rudderless when they get out and they're going to be, uh, there's going to be, the jobs available to them are going to be paying a fraction of what you're describing. And uh, these are jobs that were, depriving America's youth from because we have this, as you say, a war on fossil fuels and a war on uh, us supplying our own energy. It has to end. This has to be priority. Other than maybe reigning in big tech, this has got to be the biggest priority of any Republican who gets into office at this time, uh, doing whatever they can to tap our own resources and to make us energy independent yet again. But um, I'll get off my soapbox for a second here, Congressman, because I I, I do want to add, it's just such an important issue. It's one, I think it's the defining issue, the Biden administration right now. I'll get you to do a pint on this. I think the defining issue of the Biden administration, of all the mistakes he's made, of all the crazy things he's done, is this uh, war on energy in our own country. Well, there's no doubt. I often say when I speak to to crowds and groups that, you know, what are the things that make America great? The things that make America great are the things America makes. How do we do that? We have an affordable, reliable, dependable energy supply. We produce it at home. We use it at home, reasonably priced. And then, yes, we sell it around the world. There's two LNG plants in our District 14. We export, with the help of Louisiana, about 90% of the nation's LNG. Don't you know that the Ukrainians in Eastern Europe would rather be getting the LNG from us right now than from Putin. It's important for us. It really is the hallmark of America. We should be the energy leader in the world, period, end of story, full stop. Yeah, amen to that. Congressman Randy Weber Weber is on the line with us, Republican from Texas's 14th District, TXRandy14 on Twitter. Uh, uh, are there any Democrats backing this resolution? Is there anyone who is willing to go out on a limb and say that this is not a, a good thing for our future, if we're do, that we're doing this? You know, we haven't had any come on board, Alex. We reached out. Really? And, and you would think, you would think that our Texas Democrats are, are, uh, here in Texas would say, absolutely, this is huge for Texas. Unfortunately, the sad thing is, and, and Lord, are you listening <laughs> Uh, Nancy Pelosi is in power short-lived. I think too many of them are afraid of her and don't dare cross her. But she's going to be gone after November 8th and January 3rd, come, come what may. Okay, let me ask you about some immigration issues. Texas has seen a huge influx of illegal aliens, 2.2 million migrants apprehended along the southern border during the last fiscal year, which is, I believe, a record. Again, that's just apprehensions. Assume either one, one to two additional illegal aliens have entered the country during that time as well. Uh, it's a, how is the immigration situation in Texas and how is it affecting your state? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I served four years on the Texas House of Representatives. My second term, I was a vice chair of the Borders Committee. Back then, in 2011, 5,000 Texans, we were told by the DPS, had been violated, injured. Some of the women raped, violently raped. Houses burglarized, cars broken into, cars stolen, businesses broken into. 
um, all by, by illegals who aren't even supposed to be here, Alex. I don't know what it is today. I, I shudder to think how much it is today. I've been to the border nine times in the last since I've been in Congress. We were there recently, been there with President Trump once. When you bring in one of the other committees I was on in the Texas House is the Public Education Committee, K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade. No college, kindergarten through 12. And I, we have 5 million students in Texas, actually about five and a half, and about 1,100 school districts. Well, let's do the math easily. If you make it 1,000 school districts, 5 million students, K, again, we're talking about K through 12, then the average school district is would be, let's just say, 10,000 uh, students, K through 12. If one-fourth of 2 million people, which is 500,000 students, K through 12, if the average school district is 10,000, you just brought in 50 complete school districts that somebody has to pay to educate. Alex, we cannot afford to be the charity of the world. One thing that is complex that people don't fully understand is that it's hard for Texas as a state government to get a hand on the border. A lot of it is sort of federal jurisdiction, and we know where the federal government's head is uh, on that. They're much more concerned about keeping the border open than than closing it. it is, could, you, could you explain some of this to the audience? Well, absolutely. Um, the United States and Mexico have... Uh, I'm trying to remember the figures. It's about 1,900, I think, 67, 68 miles, uh, the two countries. Of that 1,900 and whatever it is, 70 uh, miles, Texas has about two-thirds of it. I believe it's you know right around 1,100 miles, give or take. I forget the exact number. We have the majority of the border. Again, when I was in the Texas House, 2009, 2012, in those two sessions, we put Texas put two hundred million dollars on the border. We put high flying aircraft. We put gunboats. We put boots on the ground. We put a lot of technological surveillance of cameras and all of those things. You could stand in the DPS office in Austin. You could watch people coming across the river in real time. We didn't have the manpower, and then, no, nor should we have to. This is a federal issue. Now Texas is putting two billion dollars on the border and we want to protect texans we want to protect our state there's an invasion coming across the southern border you're watching fentanyl come across if you saw the cdc numbers here i don't know three weeks back give or take over a hundred thousand people are dying from fentanyl every year alex now that if you do the math that's 300 people a day that's equivalent to two airliners holding 150 passengers each going down Every day in the United States. How many days do you think that would have to happen before there would be a national outcry? That's what we're seeing. China invade send, through the Mexican drug lords, send poison over here to our, our people to kill Americans. And yet the federal government, as you said, has got their head elsewhere. And I won't describe where. The federal government has admitted that 175 illegal aliens, including those who killed Americans, were arrested recently in a nationwide sting. We also had a story at Breitbart uh, recently on how ISIS is recruiting in Mexico. Is the lack of national outcry, it only has to be for two reasons. The left is comfortable with this so long as the border stays open, and the right is just burned out because this has been one of our top 
one, let's say top three issues for at least the last seven or eight years and maybe the last 10 years, if you want to go back to 2012-ish when this started to become um, more of a topic of conversation. Uh, it's such a burnout to continue to bring these stories up every single day, Congressman, and to see so little done about it. Uh, what would you like to see a Republican Congress do and then the next Republican president do? Well, we knew this under Obama. I was in the State House in 2010. I you know, wasn't in Congress yet. But he infamously said about immigration, because he wanted to institute DACA, he said, if Congress won't act, I've got a cell phone and a pen. I will. And I remember thinking back then, Mr. President, read your Constitution. He's supposed to be a constitutional scholar. Congress makes immigration and naturalization laws, not the executive branch with the stroke of a pen. Congress needs to go in there, and we need to revamp our laws. A A lot of people come over wanting... Uh, asylum. And here's the way asylum is supposed to work, Alex. There's three reasons. If you're persecuted by your government, if you're persecuted as a religious, uh, by for religious beliefs, or if you're persecuted by being a part of a group, and I don't know if that means, whatever that means, not because you want work or you want a job or things are really, really bad in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, or Mexico. No, no. You're supposed to have a reason to want asylum. You should have to go to the embassy in your country, American embassy, and request asylum. That embassy will know those countries, those neighborhoods, you know, who's being persecuted. They'll be there up close and personal. We can't vet everybody that comes across our border, nor should we have to. We can't supply them uh, with all the food. We shouldn't be having to supply them with all the food and the medicine, clothing, and even cell phones, everything they need to exist in the United States. Remain in Mexico policy. Trump had it in place. That The Mexican government should be held accountable if they don't help us. I've got another bill that I'm contemplating. Shut off all their foreign aid to Mexico and even put trade restrictions if we want to do that, which would be tough for Texas because Mexico's our number one trading partner. But we've got to get Americans protected. We've got to get the border secure. And this crazy left notion that we want to be like the European Union, where everybody just comes in and out as whenever they want to, and as you pointed out, including terrorists. I think last count was it, you know, you mentioned over 100. I think 92 was the last count. I had terrorists that we Yeah, 175 knew. in the latest thing. Yep. So that's what I want to see Republicans do. Let's change this thing. Let's not make let everybody come across the border requesting asylum. Stay in your country. Remain in Mexico. And as you know, we're getting a lot of human trafficking is up. A lot of young girls are violated, and you know, as they come up, and I've seen what they call the rape trees along the border with the drug cartels. Yeah, of course. Will hang, you know, bras and panties. I know it's it's gross what they do, but yet it's happening. And the left is like, oh, it's no big deal. Come one, come all. I want Republicans in gear and shutting this down. Uh, Congressman, I'm old enough to remember that the person who's put in charge of the border is the Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, has she been down there? Can you evaluate her performance as the borders are? Well, <laughs> she went to El Paso uh, and said, you know, the border is secure. And of course, Andrew Mayorkas says the border is secure. And I'm like, man, their definition of secure is a lot different than mine. But then again, Alex, we have to remember if they want socialism, if they want free flow of anybody and everybody in the United States, just like the European Union, you know, who in the world wants to pattern after the European Union? The United States, it should be the leading country in the world. We are, we are, we were at 
you know, and I hope we continue that. We've got to get a change in administration. Vice President has been woefully inadequate in that role as the quote unquote borders are. And I hope we impeach Andrew Mayorkas when we get back in control. Uh, do we impeach Alejandro Mayorkas? Is that is that uh, and if so, how high of a priority is that? Well, uh, that's a leadership question. If we get enough people on board and we, well, you know, we have the Republican conference, GOP conference meetings at least once a week when we're in session and we can discuss those priorities. We've got to, We've got to get some stuff handled. Uh, we've got to make you mentioned big tech. There's one of the things, as you know, big tech's a problem. Uh, they've had immunity from prosecution on a lot of things. We've, that's one of the things we want to take care of. We want to make sure that we rein in all the department heads, if you will, those in the Justice Department who have literally weaponized the FBI, who have literally gone after Trump. You know, Bill Clinton had a lot of documents that he kept, too. And do you remember reading about how they invaded his home? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. They didn't. Yeah, of course not. So there's a, there's a double standard that is unbelievable, and it's time the American people woke up and that Republicans stood up and fought back and take our government back for our people. Congressman Randy Weber, really appreciate the time. I hope you come back. You bet. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate what y'all are doing. Thanks to producers Zach Jones and Greg Eben and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics, and all of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the Bright Bright News Daily Podcast. I can't thank you enough, and thanks for listening. Bye.